Welcome to Now Appalachian, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachian. And hello once again, friends, and we welcome you to another episode of Now Appalachia, the podcast program heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us as we continue to profile the outstanding authors, editors, publishers, and writers with connections to the Appalachian region. And we're glad to have you with us today as we conclude our special series of podcasts where we have been sort of turning the tables a little bit and looking at the business side of publishing over the last several episodes. If you've been with us through those interviews, you know we have talked a little bit about university presses. We've talked about micro presses. We've talked a little bit about book publicity and book publicists and what they can do for you today and uh, as a writer or a potential writer. And we're going to wrap up our special series by talking about literary agents and what a literary agent can do for you as an author. And I'm delighted to have with us today uh, Alice Spielberg of the Alice Spielberg Literary Agency joining us today on the program to talk to us about being a literary agent. And she is the founding agent of the Spielberg Literary Agency. She's worked in book publishing for more than a decade. She's a member of the Association of American Literary Agents, and she represents narrative nonfiction and commercial fiction for adults and young adult readers. She previously worked at John Wiley and Sons and at the Howard Moorhaime Literary Agency. She's also worked with best-selling and award-winning authors, literary and professional societies, and also branded content. And when she's not being a literary agent, she spends her weekends hiking with her husband and two sons. And she's also a resident of Appalachia living in Louisville, Kentucky. So we are so excited to have her with us here on the program as we close out our special series of episodes looking at the business side of publishing. So, Alice, I want to welcome you, first of all, to Now Appalachian. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. So, let's start off with the, the first question and, and get a key definition out of the way first for folks who are wondering uh, what this means. What is a literary agent? Sure. So, um, a literary agent wears many hats, but I think at the crux of it, a literary agent is someone who is the bridge between an author and their publisher, both in order to make that deal happen, but as a continuing um, conduit of communication and management and kind of career management overall, always kind of going between the author and the publisher, but representing the author's needs. Very good. Very good. And uh, why does an author or should an author consider getting a literary agent and why does an author need a literary agent? So it, it depends a lot on what kind of work you're writing, but I would say if you, if your goal is to get traditionally published by one of the big houses like Random House, Simon & Schuster, then you're going to need a literary agent in most cases. Um, every once in a while they'll do an open call of submissions for a very specific thing but for the most part they will not accept submissions unless you're submitting through an agent but in terms of other reasons why you need an agent aside from just getting your foot in the door you know agents are are really familiar with publishing contracts we know what is standard in the industry and what isn't we'll make sure that you're getting paid the rate that you should be getting paid that you know if a contract says it'll give you five, three copies, I know that they can actually give you 25 and we'll ask for that. 
all those small little things in the contract. And then throughout the process of going to publication, I can tell you, you know, this is normal. This is a little weird. We should push back on this every step of the way. Very good. And we'll talk about processes and how you get matched up with a literary agent uh, in just a little bit. But you were talking about traditional publication with sort of the, the big publishers, the Random Houses and Simon and & Schuster's. And for folks that have followed kind of what we've seen over the last really 10 years with publishing is that things are consolidating. Mm -hmm. uh, bigger publishers, bigger traditional publishers are getting smaller. They're absorbing other smaller uh, uh, publishers. And I think one of the big five absorbed uh, Huffton Mifflin here uh, within the last year or so, maybe maybe right before the pandemic started. So, so, so the big five are kind of... Uh, uh, I don't want to say getting bigger, but but it's getting more um, more competitive. So yeah. when we talk about about that competitiveness, tell us a little bit about about you know th that traditional publishing route. How, and, and I know you can only speak probably specifically to yourself and your agents and your agency, but you know you 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 study I know the kind of what's going on nationwide with with publishing and, and with literary agents. How competitive is this? How many manuscripts? Uh, typically are, are funneled through literary agents to these big traditional publishers. Do you have any statistics on how many get accepted, how many get rejected? Uh, I imagine that the acceptance versus rejection rate is, is pretty skewed heavily uh, towards rejection as opposed to acceptance. But what are some statistics on that? Do you know of any of that you can share with us? So in terms of statistics, um, the queries that I get that I end up representing or on the other end, my clients who end up getting published maybe a little bit of both yeah okay um i mean every step of the way it funnels down into a narrower group of authors who ultimately will get published but i think if we're if we kind of start working backwards with my clients who i'm submitting to big five publishers or big four or whatever it is tomorrow when someone else gobbles up the other one um the it's tricky because you know, the amount, the number of authors who might actually make a deal with a big five publisher, you don't just stop there. Like if, if so many imprints have rejected this, this book, but we've gotten a lot of feedback, we know we can make those changes. We'll go out to other imprints within those big five. And then we might go out to other publishers like source books or, um, Roman and Littlefield or, you know, prestigious publishers who have been in the business a long time, but who are not the corporate, you know, publicly traded, we have to bow to the shareholders kind of level of publisher. So there is, you know, kind of a sliding scale. If you don't get in to the top ones, then we can try some other ones. The other thing is you might get rejected by the big five and then the market changes and we resubmit it three years later and suddenly everyone loves it and everyone wants it. So it's hard to say that like of this amount of submissions that I submit, this is how many will get accepted, but it is really competitive. I mean, I think I'm still this year in particular, seems like there are lots of manuscripts out in the marketplace right now. And with any given genre, an editor might come back and say, I like this manuscript, but this particular genre, let's say like women's domestic thrillers is too saturated right now. And there's not enough about this book that will make it stand out in the market. So that's really tricky too. Yeah. 
Um, I guess in terms of actual numbers for me and for the agency, um, I so right now I'm only open to submissions twice a year. Um, but when I am open, I get a flood of submissions. I think I'm still going through them from when I was open at the beginning of the year. And I've got about, um, let's see, over a thousand for sure. Um, just over a thousand, a thousand and fifty. And it looks like, you know, I maybe accept, I think I have some or statistics on the query manager that I use. Um, but it's not a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, I think I signed maybe two or three new clients last year. And if you think about every time I open, I get over a thousand submissions. I open twice a year. Maybe I end up signing one or two of the people who submit in that window. So it's very competitive. And I, I think it's, it's, uh, I like what you said about how, you know, you could have a manuscript that doesn't do well now, but in two or three years, it goes back out into the marketplace. It goes back out for solicitation by other publishers and, and it's a hot item. So I think sometimes as writers, we forget that some of this is subjective. Some of this is, uh, you know, timing. Some of this is tastes of the agent, potential agent, uh, what catches their attention, that it is a very subjective thing. And it being subjective is not always indicative of the quality of the manuscript or the quality of the writing. Is, is that true? That's absolutely true. And I also will say that sometimes, you know, I might pass on something because of a market reason um, or because there's something about that particular manuscript. There's something about the plot that I know is not going to fly. But I might tell the author, I really enjoyed your writing style. If you have anything else in the future, feel free to submit to me. And I know that a lot of agents and even editors will do that. So it's something to keep in mind. Like when you get that kind of note, they mean it. They don't write that to everybody. Yeah. So when you do get that personalized feedback, pay, pay close attention to it and, mm -hmm. and, and note that and, and follow what they suggest or what suggestions that they make. And I think that's really good advice. And in order for a writer, Alice, to reach out to an agent or to solicit possible representation for an agent for a manuscript, there's something called the query letter that has to be put together. And I've seen people sweat bullets and give themselves stomach ulcers over trying to write a query letter. So first of all, tell us what a query letter is. And if someone out there is listening that is getting that stomach ulcer trying to write one uh, for a potential literary agent or several agents maybe that they're pitching their manuscript to, what are some things you recommend an author include or leave out of a query letter if they're trying to solicit an agent? Sure. Um, for all those writers out there writing query letters right now, I feel your pain. Um, agents write essentially query letters too when we write pitches to publishers. And it's not easy to condense this this book into a couple paragraphs. Um, but for, to your first point, a query letter is just a cover letter for your book submission. So in the same way that you would send a cover letter with a resume for a job application, you're sending this cover letter as a kind of introduction to your book to the agent or editor who's considering the submission. Um, it has a few different pieces. So the first piece is really just an intro piece. and. It's important to keep in mind, it is a cover letter for your book, not for you as an author. So you're gonna start with, this is the title of the book, the genre, this is the word count, and this is the type of reader who might enjoy it. People who 
liked this other book or who liked this TV show. So your first paragraph is really just that quick look, that sneak peek. This is, this is what the book is. The second paragraph is where you actually talk about the plot. Um, and here, this is the hardest part. Um, because like I said, you know, you wrote this book, it's like 75,000, 100,000, 125,000 words. And you're trying to fit it into like 200 words, um, maybe 300. It depends. I've heard some agents who are really brutal and try to like whittle, whittle down their pitches to be like 100 or 150. Um, so as short as you can make it, the better. But you want to talk about who, um, who is your main character? What, what is the conflict and why? why? Why is kind of the stakes? Why does this character have to engage in this conflict? What's at stake for them? What might they lose or who might get hurt if they don't do whatever it is that they're doing in this book? Um, and then the last paragraph is just a little bit about you, you know, whether you are um, someone who is part of a writing organization, that you go to writing workshops, maybe you have your MFA, maybe you don't, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> we're just curious. So. Good. And I think it's important to also point out, too, that depending on where you submit and who you submit to, as you were talking about a moment ago, agents have different requirements. And it's really important for the writer to follow that uh, query letter guideline or guidelines. It, 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 can you talk a little bit about that, about, you know, why those guidelines are set the way they are and, and how important that is for an author to follow those? So, you know, if, if an author says, I don't, or a literary agent says, I don't want your query letter to be more than 300 words, um, why, why that's important and what can happen if you don't follow those guidelines? Right. So, I mean, I know that sometimes if I open up a query and it is just like a bunch of images or it's just a huge block of text and it's five pages long, I'm just gonna delete it or immediately reject it. Um, so follow, follow an agent's guidelines. I mean, like I said, I have a thousand queries drop in my inbox every time I open to submission. So I'm trying to get through them quickly. I'm trying to respond to everyone. And anyone who goes outside the rules is, you better have something amazing about your manuscript that makes me not want to click away. So it, you're just taking an extra risk. Alice Spielberg is our guest here today on Now Appalachia as we wrap up our special series of the business side of publishing. She is a, she is a literary agent and the founder of the Spielberg Literary Agency. And so we'll come back to uh, literary agents and the role they play with authors in just a minute. But I wanted to ask you, Alice, you being in Louisville, Kentucky, kind of right in the heart of Appalachia, um, what? Uh, how did you end up back in Louisville, Kentucky? Why aren't you in New York? Why aren't you in Los Angeles? Why aren't you where we typically think all the literary agents are and, and where they hang out? What, what brought you back to Louisville, Kentucky to work? Well, Louisville is home, or Kentucky is home, I guess, in general. Um, and, you know, I was in New York for about five years. I worked for an agency in Brooklyn. And... Um, at a certain point, I was looking for a reason to go back home and Hurricane Sandy happened to be that reason for me. <laughs> but It's a good reason. It was a good reason. Um, sorry, I'm losing my voice here. I'm not used to talking. <laughs> um, I don't know. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Not, not a problem at all. So, so you did spend some time in, in, in New York and came Hurricane Sandy forced you to come back. And I can imagine, I would imagine being 
in familiar area, familiar area, familiar territory, but also probably being close to family had to be uh, an attractive reason, I would think also, right? I mean, I know a lot of Appalachians have that connection to family and that that's an important part of their life. Right. So my parents live here and my sister lives here. Um, I have kids now. It is so nice to be close to grandparents. And um, it's also cheaper (laughs) and publishing doesn't make a lot of money. So the cost of living plays into that too. But I think you'll find that a lot of literary agents now live out of New York City. It's definitely a more recent thing, um, but there are a lot of us around the country. Yeah. And I think platforms like Zoom, for example, and, and podcasting software. I mean, I'm in Mississippi, you're in Kentucky. We're doing this interview well, it sounds like we're right next to each other talking and having a conversation. And, and so technology has made it, I think, easier for folks to be spread out all over the world than uh, well, the country and the world and, and, and get their work done and everything. So why did you want to become a literary agent? All the things you could have done, uh, what made you get into this line of work? Well, I knew I wanted to work in publishing. Um, and so I started at Wiley and I was working as an editor <coughs> and kind of discovered what an agent was when I was working for a publisher and realized, you know, an agent works with an author throughout their career and throughout every part of the process, whereas an editor just gets that editorial piece, maybe that one book, maybe more. But I really wanted that long-term building trust and building um, professionalism together, building a career together. And it took a couple of authors that I had approached as an editor Um, and then maybe brought their books to a sales meeting and the sales team rejected it. And I had to just send them on their way. I couldn't help them get a deal with another publisher. And I, I wanted to be a bigger part of that process. And so I started looking around at literary agencies and did a few informational interviews and then ended up, um, kind of starting as an assistant. It really is an apprenticeship position and then moving and starting to build my own list. Very good. So who are some authors that you like to read when you're not representing your clients or uh, sifting through query letters? Who are some authors that you like to read? What are some genres that you like to read? And uh, I I imagine that might be a little bit of a loaded question because you're so busy and and so immersed in books and writing and publishing all the time uh, to find time maybe to pleasure read. But but when you do, who are some authors uh, that you like to follow and what are some genres you like to read? So um, I do read in some of the spaces where I represent. So I've always loved historical fiction and fantasy. So Philip Pullman is one of my favorites. Diana Gambledon is, I'm like obsessed now. I got into it late in the game and read through all of her books and then the show started. So Outlander is is a great series. Tamora Pierce was really the person who got me into fantasy. So that like style of YA fantasy has always been a big favorite of mine. And right now I'm reading The Widow Queen and it's um, historical fiction that almost feels like fantasy. And it's set in like the year 1000 in Poland and Sweden and Norway. And it's actually a Polish translation that Tor just published this year. 
Excellent. Very good. So you do have a lot, a wide, diverse range of that. And something <laughs> interesting about Diana Galbadon, I, I can remember year, several years ago, right before Outlander made it big, she came to the Southern Kentucky Book Festival, uh, which is in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I can remember I attended just as, a, just as an attendee uh, because I just wanted to see what it was all about. And I can remember she was one of the featured authors and people were lining up at 4 a.m., uh, they were having it at Western Kentucky University. They had filled up every parking lot and were lined up all the way out into the street leaving campus to get in line at 4 a.m. to, meet, to meet and have Diana Galbadon <laughs> sign their books. Things. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's totally amazing. And she also has two PhDs, which I think is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty incredible too. So she's, yeah, she, she's really a great writer. And uh, if folks are looking to get into a good series, uh, get into Outlander, but give yourself plenty of time. But she writes really yeah. big, thick books and they take a little bit of time to get through. But by the time you're finished, you don't want it to end. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. Absolutely. We're enjoying our time here today and speaking with Alice Spielberg. She is the founder of the Spielberg Literary Agency. and She's also a literary agent herself. And we're talking to her today about literary agents and what they do for authors and kind of the role that they play in this discussion of the business side of publishing. So, Alice, I wanted to go back to talking about literary agents and, and kind of the work that you do for just a minute. So let's say that an author goes through the process, they submit the query letter to you, uh, an agent offers to represent them or to take on their manuscript or to accept them as a client. I want to ask you a little bit about the interpersonal side uh, of the relationship because we forget sometimes that agents are people, we forget sometimes that authors are people and everybody's got their own personalities and, and all of that. Can you talk about the importance uh, from your perspective, but also from authors in terms of, of, of not just finding an agent to represent your work, if, if that's the route someone wants to go, but finding an agent that you can get along with and work with. Can you, can you talk about the importance of that? And what are some things you look for as an agent? And what are some things that maybe um, an author should look for as maybe red flags? Like maybe they've, they're working with an agent and, and, and what are some things they can look for to kind of think about, oh, maybe this isn't going so well, or maybe, maybe this isn't going to work. Yeah, the personality match is incredibly important. Um, it's because you're you're trusting this person with your money, but also with your words. And your words are sometimes precious in ways that you don't want to show them to anyone. You don't want to show them to someone who's not going to honor them with respect. So it's really important that you feel like you could share your your deepest, darkest words <laughs> with this agent. So um, I think it, it helps at the beginning to kind of, if an agent offers you representation to talk about the book, talk about their vision for the book, question their vision um, and kind of make sure that their responses are, are things that you, that resonate with you, even if they're not things that you would have thought of previously or that you're not totally on board with, that they that there is a conversation, that it's something you can tell that they, that the agent respects what your vision is and, and wants to make sure that they're staying true to that, even if they want to strengthen the book. And, um, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I'm sorry. You go ahead. So in terms of like the other, um, the other things that you should watch out for are red flags. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, Definitely, if anyone asks for some kind of payment up front, that's a huge red flag. You know, agents do not take payments up front. We don't get paid until we sell your book. 
So, and at that point, we'll take it out of whatever your payment from the publisher is. So you are never writing an agent a check. Um, and then any other red flags would be any other kind of like exorbitant fees that they plan on charging you or, um, I don't know, there are, every agency operates slightly differently. And so some of the bigger agencies might lock you into like a two-year contract and that's relatively standard for them. Um, I would not sign that for a smaller agency. Like my agency doesn't have a two-year lock-in. You know, if you're signing with Writer's House, you're pretty sure they're gonna take care of you. They're high enough up, high enough up in the business that if something went wrong, it would be a major problem. So for them in terms of PR, so locking in for two years with an agency that is well-known and respected, it's, it's up to you, you know, it's your choice, but I don't think that's a red flag. Um, I just, I think the most important thing is being able to talk to your agent, being able to trust them, feeling good about your interactions with them. And hopefully it's not like a stilted conversation or very awkward because that could get difficult in the long term, even if there's nothing overtly bad about the agent themselves. And I know that one of the things that always strikes authors when they get literary agents and they go through this process of going with a traditional big five publisher is that there is an amount, there is an amount of time that goes by, you know, you, you, you don't get an agent on Friday, the agent sells the book on Monday and you're in the publication schedule on Tuesday, that there, there is some time that goes by here. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and time frame and what a, an author should expect uh, if they get an agent and the agent starting to sell their book, what, or, or they get a sale on the manuscript, what, what the timeline is going to look like? The publishing is slow, notoriously slow. It's, I, I was telling um, Elliot earlier, it's like, it's always kind of like molasses. Like it just slowly ekes along. Like you hurry up, you turn something in and then you wait forever. And that's every step of the process. So you're submitting to literary agents, you hurry up, you get the query letter together and your submission pieces and you send it all out. And then you wait for like six to eight months before you hear anything. Um, the same is true, you know, an agent signs you, you get the manuscript all prepped, you do revisions, you put it on submission and you wait. This year, it, it almost is like six to eight months again. Usually it's six to eight weeks, but um, the pandemic has done wonky things to the timeline in publishing. So um, hopefully it'll go back to that six to eight week window, but we're not there right now. So you're waiting again. Um, then your editor comes back, they want to make an offer, and you wait two months for the contract to be finalized. Um, then you do revisions and you wait two months while your editor is looking at them. So the whole process, I mean, generally in, in easy to think about terms, like you'll sign with an agent, hopefully you'll have a book come out within the next two to three years. Um, You'll be on submission for maybe six months to a year, and then you'll sign a contract and the book should be published within the next 24 months is usually the deadline. So usually it's a year from when you sign the contract is when the book comes out. Okay, very good, very good. That's important information to know. And I also wanted to ask you, we got a couple of questions about this, and I just want to ask you your opinion on this 
about going to writing conferences where agents are there to uh, do what we call pitch sessions. Um, I know that has become a thing in the last four or five years. I've seen that a lot that conferences, if it's Romance Writers of America, if it's Thriller Fest, if it's uh, uh, Left Coast Crime, Breadloaf, all these different, you know, kind of nationally or internationally known uh, writing conferences are bringing agents in where writers can schedule pitch sessions. And a couple of questions we got about that is, is that something a writer should do? Does that give them a leg up over someone who is just sort of sending the, the email uh, query in? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? And, and does it make a difference? How does it benefit? Uh, how could it benefit you and, and or the author in that process? So we talked a little bit earlier about personality and how important that is. I think that is what I'm looking for in pitches is, you know, when I talk to this person, is it easy to talk to them? Do we listen to each other? Um, is it comfortable? Like, could I imagine myself working with this person? So of course, then I have to read the material and the same, the same rules still apply, but there is that initial, oh, I really hope I like this manuscript because I really liked that person. I would like to work with them. So I think it gives you a leg up in that perspective that, you know, I have a face with the name and I might give extra attention to reading that query, but ultimately it comes down to the same rules of, can I sell this? Do I like it? Do I have a vision for it? And I want to ask you just kind of in general, we were talking a little bit about this uh, before we started uh, recording our interview today about kind of the overall state of publishing. Um, I know this past year uh, with the pandemic, you know, the, the sort of the, the, 20, the late 2019, 2020 calendar year was just kind of a big blur for a lot of us. Uh, involved in writing and publishing. It, it went by, but it just kind of went by, so to speak. Um, your, your thoughts on, on publishing today in terms of um, trends that you're seeing, sales of books, um, opportunities for writers to get their work out there, even if it's not through uh, maybe an agent or a big five publisher. What are your thoughts on kind of the state of, of publishing? Uh, we're recording this interview May of 2021. So uh, as of right now, kind of where do you see uh, publishing right now in terms of trends or the health of the industry? What, what do you think is going on? Ooh, that's a big question. It's a lot of things. <laughs> um, I mean, publishing as, as a whole is doing phenomenally well. I mean, sales are up higher than they have been in decades and across all formats, across all general categories. If you're looking at like adult, adult fiction, adult nonfiction, children's, you know, every single broad category is up. But if you drill into specifics, like travel's been down, but that's not surprising. So, um, you know, there are things that are taking a hit. I think the biggest challenge right now is that the backlist is selling really well, which is making it harder for new books to kind of break out. And that that comes from the, the way that we're all using online shopping more in our lives because we're avoiding to go to a store or it's just convenient. We're sitting here in our sweatpants. We might as well buy a book online. So when you go to the online retailers, they're not putting you know, oh, this book just came out. It's a new release. It's on the front table the way it is at Barnes & Noble. Um, so it's, readers will be kind of seeing the backlist titles more 
and they're buying those instead of the front list titles. So that's hard for authors who are trying to break out their first book. Um, they don't have a fan base because this is their first book. And suddenly they don't have those booksellers who are handing their book to the reader. So that's really, I'm hoping that will change, but that's, that's really the only negative thing that happened in publishing um, over the last, you know, COVID year and a half. The, we've definitely seen growth in, um, in other formats. We were talking about audiobooks um, before we hopped on here and audiobooks have been doing really well. I actually just sold a novella for a client that's gonna be audio only um, through Audible, which is just exciting. It's just fun to publish something that is kind of outside her main brand that is gonna be released as an audiobook only. Um, it's something short, it's something just like a fun project for her. So there are things like um, Tapas and Cereal Box that are doing like apps, um, reading apps. So that's really new. There are um, gaming apps that will, you can sell the gaming rights to the book that published already and then into a gaming app. So we've done this with a few romance novels of ours and that's really fun. So there are just so many new interesting formats and ways to reach readers. Sounds great. And I want to know when Diana Galvedon's going to do the Claire and Jamie video game version of Outlander. That would that be awesome. Would be amazing. That but would do you awesome. have the graphic novel. <laughs> All right. There, we'll see, getting closer. We start yeah. with the graphic novel and then we work our way into the video game. Which are also <laughs> huge, by the way. Everyone is, all the main publishers are now kind of creating space um, to publish more graphic novels. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that's, again, another way to kind of reach readers that are interested kind of in that genre of work. So, uh, Alice, as we finish up with you today, tell us a little bit about your agency. Uh, how many agents work with you? Uh, and if someone out there has a manuscript and they want to submit it to maybe to you directly or to another one of your agents in your agency, where can they find out all the information about how to do that and how can they get in contact with you all? Sure. So um, we're a small agency. We're based here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, but my two other agents who I work with are actually remote. So one, Ava Scalzo, she represents romance and sci-fi for adults and then pretty much any YA subgenre. Um, she is based in Binghamton, New York. So that's kind of upstate New York. Um, and then my other agent, Lindsay, Lindsay Smith, is based in Pittsburgh and she represents nonfiction. So a lot of lifestyle books, cookbooks, prescriptive how-to guidebooks and true crime. Um, so we have submission information on our website. That's SpielbergLiterary.com. And if you go to the agent section, there's a link for each of us. As I mentioned, I am closed right now. However, um, if you should have pulled this up earlier, but you can submit um, at querymanager.com backslash Alice Spielberg backslash request. And um, that'll get you through the, the wall right now. So you could submit right now. Fantastic. So, so an added benefit for folks that have, that have tuned yeah. into the podcast. Today. I guess I didn't say what I represent. That might be helpful. So um, I, I represent, you know, a lot of historical fiction, women's fiction, sci-fi fantasy, um, again, in that like 
historical magical realm usually. And then on the nonfiction side, narrative nonfiction, especially by journalists on um, cultural, cultural topics. I mean, I've done a book on craft beer um, and the business side of that. And I've done, um, you know, a couple true crime books and a couple music books, like music biographies, that sort of thing. Fantastic. Very, very good. We've been delighted to have with us today here on Now Appalachia, Alice Spielberg. She is the founder of the Spielberg Literary Agency. And as she mentioned, and as we've been talking about, she's based out of Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, She's also a literary agent uh, who has a lot of extensive experience uh, working in book publishing. She's been involved with it for more than a decade, previously worked at uh, John Wiley and Sons, along with the Howard Moorhaime Literary Agency. Alice, I want to thank you so much for, for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're busy and have so many things going on, and I appreciate you giving up uh, a half hour, 45 minutes of your time today to talk to us about literary agents, what they do, the importance they play uh, in the publishing process, and how they can help authors. Uh, we appreciate it so much, and thanks for helping us close out our series on the business side of publishing, and um, uh, all the best uh, to you, and uh, as things keep happening with your agency, uh, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it, or maybe have you on soon to talk about some other trends going on in publishing, so thanks a lot for your time and for your expertise. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Elliot. That sounds great. We also want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to remind you that if you missed uh, any of our episodes on the business side of publishing, you can find those episodes uh, starting in March when we started our special series on the business side of publishing. So go back to March, look at the March podcast, the April podcasts, and then our first May podcast. That series of podcasts is all structured and centered on the business side of publishing, where we talk about micro presses and book publicists and university presses. And of course, our discussion today with Alice about literary agents. So if you want to listen to them again, or you've missed them, or you want to share them with someone else, you can find them on SoundCloud, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you like to get uh, your podcast. And so we want to thank um, all of those folks for joining us over the last several episodes. And we also want to thank you, our listeners, for all the great questions and issues that you've sent in over the last couple of years, uh, not only requesting this series on the business side of publishing, but all the great questions you've sent in about publicists and, and, and publishing and literary agents and the different kinds of book publishing options that are available. We hope that got some of your questions answered and gave you a new perspective and some good information going forward on what happens after you turn in that manuscript that you've been working on. But we also want to remind you too that we'll be getting back to more of our regular programming where we start profiling authors and publishers starting with our next podcast recording. So stay tuned for that. We want to say also thanks to Pam Stack, who's the executive producer of Now Appalachia, as well as the executive producer of all the podcast programming here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We appreciate all that she does and all of her work and all of her support in making these podcasts possible each and every time. And that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.